We are I. Okay, take two um, of so or Susan Sohail. Uh, Susan Monteli coming on, Sohail's wife. I've been waiting for this moment for a year and a half now, and it's an absolute honor to be able to have you on the podcast. Um, welcome. Thank you. And um, I feel exactly the same way. I'm, I feel honored to be here, really excited. Um, I think I mentioned to you before something that I've been reading and learning about, and I really wanted to have an opportunity to share this. Um, I feel like uh, something Abdu'l-Bahá said, he said that all human beings must powerfully sustain one another. And I think particularly now, it's, it becomes even more evident how important it is that we are there for each other and encouraging each other and supporting each other. And sometimes um, that can get difficult when I, my ego's in the way or I'm worried about what someone's thinking about me or what I'm trying to make an impression or whatever. So there's these forces that are acting on all of us. And I think the world is a reflection of those forces that are at play in the world. And a lot of them are negative forces. And so I've been reading uh, an amazing book called Forces of Our Time by Hooper Dunbar. And uh, he's, I, I just really love this man. I've seen some, he has some videos on YouTube and, and he has this book that I particularly love. He's actually an artist, but he spent 37 years of his life serving on um, the Universal House of Justice, which is the um, worldwide international governing um, institution of the Baha'i community. Mm -hmm. And he has tremendous insights into these forces. And he, he got it by deep study of the writings, particularly of the guardian of the Baha'i faith. And um, he starts the book out by saying that ours is a supremely pivotal time. The gathering of great energies across the planet is clear to see, but few have any real notion of their origin or ultimate effect. And he, he, he wishes that he says, may these pages help in understanding what is actually taking place and why. And by looking at, by reading that book, I got to really understand myself more. And what are the, why do I feel that way? Why am I reacting to my husband in that way? Why am I feeling this way about that? And, and I, I, I didn't understand these kind of very many different feelings in my heart and something that would then affect my thoughts and my words and my actions. And this book really helped me understand what those forces are and, um, um, I'll just tell a, a little story. I was I was in Hong Kong. Uh, Sohail and I were living in China at the time, and we were at a conference in Hong Kong. And the speaker was saying, he said, if you were the same person today that you were yesterday, you're not growing. And I thought, wow. I realized I've been kind of just motoring along, just kind of myself thinking, oh, I'm like that. Yeah, I'm just like that. That's what I do. That's how I think. And and, and I realized, wow, that's actually not what we're here to do as human beings. You know, Baha'u'llah says, let each morn be better than its eve and each morrow richer than its yesterday. So the whole point of our life is to actually improve, become better. Um, but how do we do that when we're in a world that is so influenced 
by um, forces of materialism, mm -hmm. individualism, um, forces of passivity. Well, what can I do? Really, what can I do? It's out of my control, out of my power. Look, it's these big powers of the world that are in control. It's that you know, military industrial complex, it's big business, it's the multinational, whatever that I may want to blame it on. Actually, at the end of the day, I really have to look at myself and I have to say, okay, what's going on in my own heart? So, um, so just from, from that, and then also at that conference was this quotation I heard that I'd never heard before. And it just like went straight into my heart. And it said, amongst the realms of unity is the unity of rank and station. Ever since the seeking of preference and distinction hath come into play, the world hath been laid waste. It has become desolate. I was like, wow. And then one day after I, I went home back into Ch China, I was, I was teaching English and everything. And one day I, I became aware of my thoughts. And I, I noticed that I was thinking about something and I was thinking about doing something and the kind of accolades I would receive and how people would be kind of think wow isn't she good and all that and I, I became aware and I stopped myself and I thought oh my gosh Susan that's you're seeking preference and distinction you want yourself to appear better than others or something and I was like that and then I so I became aware of it and then I kept puttering I think I was folding the laundry at the time or something and I folded the socks and I was doing everything. And then I, I noticed my thoughts again. And I, I was thinking about a family member and how I was hoping that family member was going to do really well in this so that they would appear like really um, knowledgeable and wise. And oh, and I would be the, mo I'm the mother of that person, you know. And I, I stopped myself again and I thought, <gasps> preference and distinction. I was hoping for preference for myself and for a family member. And I realized according to that quote, that has laid the world waste. It's become desolate. And it was like, and I thought to myself, oh my God, I, I don't think I laid the whole world waste all by myself with these thoughts that they are actually the thoughts of many of us often. And it's because we are so influenced by those negative forces, those forces that actually are in the world because we've turned away from, from God because we've turned away from the teachings of God. And so these other forces, and I'm telling you, they come to feel so normal. They feel like, of course, who wouldn't want that for them and their family member? Of course you'd want that. Who wouldn't want that? But actually, those forces keep me separate from you. Keep me thinking, it's, it's, my, it's feeding my ego, my lower nature that actually wants to look better than others. But that's the role of the ego is to keep itself separate to be separate and actually looking superior and better than others. When in reality, we've all been created from the same dust. No, Bahá'u'lláh says, know ye not why we created you all from the same dust, that no one should exalt himself over the other. And yet in our world, we're continually doing that. We want to excel, we want, and those are not bad things, to strive for excellence, to do the best you can in your field, Absolutely. You know, they asked the question, someone asked this question once, who is the only person you should be better than? Yourself. Any thoughts, Blake? Yourself, every day. Yes, the person you were yesterday. That's the person you should be better than, not your neighbor, not your colleague. And the only way to actually do that is to, to, to look at 
how am I doing compared to how I was yesterday? Is that every day we must call ourselves to account. We must at the end of the day say, how did I do today? And if I look at my day and I, you know, got impatient with my husband and I really didn't speak very kindly, I need to look at that. And I need to reflect on it a little bit and maybe say a prayer, say, okay, God, help me to be more patient and to speak more kindly and then make effort. And then maybe when I'm reflecting and I see, you know, I actually am kind of happy I did this. I, I, I was kind to that person or I was generous when in the past I might have been a little less generous. I can recognize that I've made progress and I grow up and I say, thank you, God. You know, it's, through, it's his power through everything that this world exists, that there is a world. You know, I think most people, I think, believe that there is a power higher than we are, whether we call it God, the great spirit. I think most people acknowledge there is a power. And that power, um, and I've even said it to people this way, this sweater had a maker. This cup, someone made it. This computer, someone made it. And someone made this amazing universe with its perfection and its beauty. There is this all-loving creator that created us out of his love. And he, made a pro- and he created us in his image and out of love. And he made a promise to us that he will always guide us. He will never leave us unguided. And throughout, throughout man's history, he has sent great teachers to guide us. From Abraham, Moses, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad. And in this day, Baha'u'llah, he has always guided us. And he's promised us that he would guide us. And the reality of that is that that same spirit has flowed through each one of those great teachers and they brought to the world what humanity could understand at that time. So it's like humanity has gone through stages that we could maybe are equivalent to the stages of a, of, of a human being where at first we're an infant. So the great teacher God sent at the early stages of man's history, man's evolution was in accordance with the needs of that time. That manifestation of God came and was a reflection of all the perfection and divine quality and knowledge of God, but only shared what humanity was capable of receiving. And then as we grew, we became like children, like a child. And so another great teacher, because we forget. And so God in his loves us, will never stop loving us, will never not forgive us. He sends another great teacher who again can teach humanity what we need to know at that time. And even Jesus said, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. How be it when the son of truth comes, he will guide you to all truth. And so each one of the great teachers has never said, I'm the last. He's always said, another one will come. Another teacher will come and guide you. And actually all of all the traditions in the world and cultures and religions have actually promised that a day will come when we will have peace on earth, when the kingdom of God will be established on earth. And we actually believe that time has come, the time of mankind's where now we've passed through the infancy, childhood, the tumultuous um, adolescence, which is what we can, we've been going through, but we're, we're being called to and we're reaching our collective maturity on this planet. We're being called to be adults now. And that is a very different relationship than our relationship to God and to the manifestation previously. Like as a child, an infant, a child, there's always an authority that we're answering to, right? We're answering to um, our parents, our teachers, Um, maybe the clergy we're answering to, but at this stage, 
we've reached our collective man, uh, maturity on this planet. We only answer to God now. So I don't answer. And I actually, just a, a little aside here, I started recognizing what was a challenge in my relationship um, with my husband in particular. And I realized I was treating him as an authority, that he had some authority over me and that I needed to, and I was resisting that authority because I'm an adult now, but I don't always act as an adult. I often act as an, and humanity is acting like adolescents and we're all that, right? So, but now we've been called to this collective maturity and I recognize I just need to stand before God and you know, look at my actions every day and try to improve each day so that each day can be better than the day before and not to seek preference and distinction over anyone and not to try to impose my will on another because that's another aspect of reaching our collective maturity is that um, we don't want to control others and we don't want to, they, they have their destiny before God. And if I'm thinking, I know what's best for this person and I'm going to try and make it go that way, whether it be my children, family members, whoever, I'm actually robbing them or trying to infringe on their free will because they have been given free will by God. And it is not for me to impose on that. And I'm, I have to say, I'm a perfectionist and I'm controlling you ask people and I have to work consciously not to do that and I think it comes from my childhood where I lost my father at a very young age and um, there were six children in our family uh, uh, the twins were seven my baby brother was six weeks old and my father died and so I have this sort of I guess need to try to make everything going to be okay for everybody and so I have to work against that because God's in control it isn't me the weight of the world is not resting on my shoulders, right? But I have a role to play each, each as each and every one of us does. So um, anyway, so I, do you have any questions? <laughs> Where to go from here, but uh, I can continue, but. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I love when people have a lot to say. I love when people, because it, it is, if people are willing to be open to listening and not get attached to the minutia, then there's always a message to be had. And I think that's like one of the best things about having conversations with people who are from all different walks of life, you know, whether that be race or religion or, you know, age, you know, anything along those lines, like there's just, there's value in just listening, you know, and, um, I, I, at these 37 years I've been on this planet, um, I've come to realize with very few limitations, do I not like to be around people who are passionately talking about something that they love? You know, it could be something like, like I could, like, I don't really care about making spoons, you know, but if somebody loves making spoons, Val, listen to that person talk about making spoons all afternoon. So like, it's, uh, that's the, I, I just, I love to be able to listen when people are passionately talking about stuff. Like I have a, a ton of questions we could go down, but I would rather just, I'd rather listen to uh, all the words that are just dying to come out of your mouth. Okay. You know what? He, th th this just reminds me of something um, that he says in the book and he says the individual is the fulcrum of the transformation of the world. So if we want to make this world a better place, 
we have to start right here in our own hearts. And I loved what he said, and it, it really changed something. He just said, um, um, okay, let me start where he says, Abdu'l-Bahad explains that while we can potentially express and reflect the light of all the names and attributes of God, because we were created in his image, and of all, the, of all that God has created, um, hu the human being has the potential to reflect all of the names and light of God, where the, you know, the rock it actually, um, that sort of kingdom of God has the power of cohesion it holds together. And that's the, that's the, that's the quality of God that, it, that, that, that the mineral kingdom reflects. Then the, the, the um, vegetable kingdom reflects that quality. It has cohesion, but it also has the power of growth. And so, um, and reproduction. So it, it, it can reflect. So the, the, world of the beautiful world of nature can re also reflect the the plants that grow reflect those two qualities that those qualities of god the animals also have the reflect the qualities of the senses and the ability to move and um so they have that but but man is the or humanity are the highest in creation in the of of god's creation and we have the potential to reflect all the names and qualities of god and um, and that's why we're here is actually to develop and 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 um, they're like gems inside of us. It's like each one of us is, in fact, Baha'u'llah said, regard man as a mine rich in gems of inestimable value. Education can alone cause it to reveal its treasures and allow mankind to benefit therefrom. So each one of us is a mine rich in these gems which are the qualities of God, which we might often refer to as virtues. But Abdu'l-Bahá explains, I just love this, while we can potentially express and reflect the light of all the names and attributes of God, there is a dominant name of God acting in every individual. Um, this is why each of us views the writings and views life from a somewhat different perspective. Perhaps the name of God, the merciful, dominates in one, and in another, the name of God, the knower. In one person, there is a tremendous thirst for knowledge, while another person shows a thirst for ministering to people's needs. The unique endowment of divine spirit, which is the character of each human being, will come to light and be fully expressed through our individual efforts to serve the divine plan. Each of us has a distinct role to play. Each has a unique contribution to make to the construction of a new world order. In the final analysis, no one can play the role of anyone else or deprive another of their service. So I'm just thinking of the light of divine spirit that you reflect by having this deep desire. And I think it may be God the knower, like you want to know, but you all, you combine that. You don't want to just know it from maybe study of books. You want to know it by hearing another's heart and soul. So what a beautiful reflection you are of the divine spirit. And when I read that and reread it, because I think the first time I read it, it just kind of went over my head. I didn't even get it. But when I read it again, it was like, oh my God, I started seeing everybody a little differently. Instead of being inclined to judge, which 
when we look at others, we're often inclined to judge them. And often because of those negative forces that are at play in our own hearts and our minds, materialism, individualism, all those fo other forces, um, prejudice, those things affect how I see others and I might judge them. And I remember going back to that time when I was folding socks and I was recognizing those thoughts I was having, I started recognizing when I was judging other people. And in my mind, I would just be sort of talking to myself about that person and what they were doing. And I started recognizing, oh my gosh, I'm judging that other person. That's not my business. I have, it's like, get your thoughts right back to yourself because actually the guardian of the Baha'i faith says that we are responsible for one life and one life only. And if we take our energy and start to be busying ourselves with how Tom and Harry are doing, he says, we each have our own kind of road to hoe. And if I'm busy looking over to see how Tom and Harry are doing, I'm going to go crooked so that we only, and he said that we are all immeasurably far from being perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And it will take all of our energy and dedication to improve ourselves. And so if we're, he says, we're wasting precious time. If we're looking over to see how others are doing and trying to correct them, we got to do it here. So the minute I think about someone and I think they're doing something wrong or whatever, it's like, it's God is the judge. We are not the judges. And we act as judge and jury for each other all the time. No wonder there's feelings of isolation and people don't feel connected. And we've got a world that is very... In, disunited in so many ways when the reality is the true reality is we are intimately connected with each other actually Baha'u'llah gives us this beautiful analogy or is it a metaphor go back and check that later of the world of humanity as a single human body and that each one of us is like a cell in that body and the way if we think about the human body Every cell has a function. It has its role to play. And the way that it does its role and the way that the body remains healthy is that every cell gives and receives from the other cells. There's mutual reciprocity and cooperation. That is how a, a physical body is healthy. If we look at our world today, we would, I think all of us would agree that the world, the body of the body of humanity is not healthy. Why? Because each individual cell of that body is competing, comparing itself with others, competing with others, judging others. So if we think about the human body, when cells start to compete with each other, what happens? We get disease, we get cancer. The body's not healthy. And that's, I, I, I suggest that's what we have in our world today. We have a, a humanity that is struck by numerous diseases and maladies and really they start because we are not recognizing those forces that are affecting us and we're not drawing on the one force that can actually transform our hearts and when all when our hearts transform the power is there to transform the world if i don't make every conscious effort to change my heart 
the world, it's not going to happen in the world. It's not going to happen out there until it happens in here. We have to start here. And I think it also starts by recognizing our oneness. We are, Baha'u'llah said there is one God. There is one religion. It's the religion of God. It's been manifested throughout man's history. But it is that same spirit. It is that same from that same all-loving creator that created us all from the same dust so that no one would exalt himself over another. Like you look at our world. We have racism. We have races that think they're better than another. Like what? We're all created from the same stock. He decreed that we should all belong to the same household. And that, and we, we, we derive our inspiration, everything. God provides everything for us, for each and every one of us. He does not distinguish. It's for all of us. The air that we breathe, the water, the, his love surrounds us all. And we need to treat each other with that loving respect because we are all members of one human family. And I even heard or read somewhere that there will come a day and honestly, I long for this day, that if there is one child in the world that doesn't have enough food to eat, the rest of us won't sleep at night. Like that we will be so, that's our true reality. But we, we have our egos. My ego keeps me separate from you and wants to make sure I'm doing okay. And yeah, there's that loving part of my heart that really wants everybody to be okay. But where, where are those barriers in my own heart? What can I do? every day and and it is it is about aligning with the forces of light recognizing that a new teacher has come and flooded our world with love and light that energy is there for each and every one of us to draw on every single day but we have to choose it because remember god gave us free will he does not want us to love him because he forced us to he wants us to love him because we choose to, out of love, because he created us. He gave us life and he gave us everything. And what can we do to thank him? I, I love what Abdu'l-Baha says. Abdu'l-Baha was the son of Baha'u'llah. It was the perfect example. It was almost like when God sent this latest, greatest, great, the latest teacher to the world, it was almost too much for humanity. And so God created Abdu'l-Baha to show us how, how to live that life, how to take that, those teachings and apply them and live them in life. And so we have this perfect example um, in Abdu'l-Baha, and that means servant of Baha. So he's just, he said his name is that, his title is that. He was actually um, made a, a knight of the... Um, British Empire, because during the, the war, uh, the First World War, he made sure that um, grains and food was put aside, and he knew it was coming, and he prepared, and so he he's saved so many people, it was Palestine at the time, from starvation, and he was he was knighted by the by the British Empire, but he took no title, like, anyway, he just said he, he's the servant, servant of humanity. A servant of God. That's that was his title, his whole name. But but he said, um, from amongst all mankind hath he chosen you, and your eyes have been opened to the light of guidance, and your ears attuned to the music of the company above, and blessed by abounding grace, your hearts and souls have been born into new life. 
Praise ye and thank ye, God, that the hand of infinite bestowals hath set upon your heads this crown um, of lustrous jewels that will forever flash and sparkle down all the reaches of time. To thank him for this, make ye a mighty effort and choose for yourselves a noble goal. So I love what Abdu'l-Bahá said. He said, here's the gift you've been given by God. And now here's how you thank him. Mm-hmm. So we need to thank. We need to find ways to express our gratitude for all that he's given us. And you know what? When the times get tough and there are tests, we need to thank him even more. Because those tests draw us nearer to him. When life's going easy, when everything's going the way I want, and I have everything I need and everything I want, and life's good, I maybe turn away from God. And I maybe think, I, I did that myself. Yeah, I'm proud of myself. But when the tests come, like we're being tested now, humanity's being tested, we have no choice but to turn to God. Mm-hmm. Where else can we go? Who else can solve the manifold problems that are afflicting humanity. There's, it has to be a source higher than we are. And that source sends us those teachings that we can, that are the prescription. Actually, the manifestations of God are like divine physicians. They have their fingers on the pulse of humanity and they prescribe the remedy. Their teachings are the remedy. But if we don't avail ourselves of those teachings of if we don't immerse ourselves in them we can go astray so easily because trust me those dark forces actually have risen up in opposition to these new divine forces that have been released into the world hooper dunbar actually talks about that 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 actually those dark forces are in resistance to this because it, let me just see if i can find that um He says, the unprecedented energies of our time are spiritual in nature, and they are a result of the coming of God's most recent representative to humankind, the manifestation of his own light and glory, Baha'u'llah. And as the revealer of God's word in this age, Baha'u'llah has set in motion processes that are creating a new, a divine civilization, representing the inevitable destiny of mankind. And he's released energies that transform human hearts, shape new social institutions, and open up the possibility of a higher order of organization and well-being on earth. Picture that, you guys, where it isn't every nation against nation, right? In fact, that's a cool thing, too, is looking at the the different manifestations of God that came. Each one of them, in a way, came to unite us at some level. So we might look at Abraham for uniting the family, Moses uniting the tribe. The time of Jesus was the um, Roman times. It was the city-state. Muhammad, unity of the nations. But Baha'u'llah has come to unite the whole world. Baha'u'llah said the earth is but one country and mankind its citizens. So those those forces. So now we're, we're being called to be united as a wor- in one world so that we, it isn't one nation against one nation. Well, you know, as like, as long as my country's doing okay, I'm okay. And I, and I have a feeling that a lot of the social dislocation from the wars, from the, 
struggles that humanity is going through and, and refugees coming to different countries, in a way it's like we're being brought together so that we can see, hey, they're not so different than I am. They love their children. They, they, they want the best for their family. Oh, that's what I want. Oh, they're not so different. So we've been kind of, you know, God's shaken up the world. We've all been brought together. And now we're faced with this pandemic where, wow, we now, viruses know no borders. They don't just stay in Canada. They don't just stay, they know no borders. And it's like, we have to recognize that we're one country. The world is one country and we have to treat each other that way. So we're, so I think that we, God's trying to wake us up and these tests wake us up. And then we, we have to look for solutions and they don't lie in my just idea of what I think or my, what's best for my nation. You know, I think it was, yeah, just so many things we've had to collaborate internationally to solve things. And so we're being called to that level. And I think that's, um, but in response to now that these tremendous, powerful spiritual forces have been released into the world, you can imagine the negative forces that are trying to resist them. And I, he talks about this. Let me just see. It says, um, um, and, I, and I, I wrote this, this is not the first time humanity has resisted God's manifestation. So send a new teacher, we're resisting it. It says, consider the past. These are the words of Baha'u'llah. How many, both high and low, have at all times yearningly awaited the advent of the manifestation of God in the sanctified persons of his chosen ones. And whenever the portals of grace did open and the clouds of divine bounty did rain upon mankind and the light of the unseen did shine above the horizon of celestial might, they all denied him and turned away from his face, the face of God himself. No messenger cometh unto them, but they laugh him to scorn. Again, he saith, each nation hath plotted darkly against their messenger to lay violent hold on him and disputed with vain words to invalidate the truth. Every time you just look at what happened to Jesus, it was like he had nowhere to this embodiment of the love and light of God. He was the son of God. How did we treat him? Like, Every, this has never not happened. And this is happening, has happened with Baha'u'llah. He was banished. He was born into, his father was a minister in the court of the king. Um, and he was banished from country to, to get him away. We don't, you know, the clergy, the forces that don't want that, that are, that are going to infringe on my power, whatever. It's like, no. And, and so we have to look at that. And it says, Consider the former generations. Witness how every time the day star of divine bounty hath shed the light of his revelation upon the world, the people of his day have arisen against him and repudiated his truth. So we have to look at this. So this is happening again, but we have to align with these forces of light and the forces of oneness and unity because Baha'u'llah has come to unite the world in one, as one family, one common faith, one, that's, that's what he's here to do. But the forces that are going to, that are opposing and will continue to oppose it are huge. But the beauty is light has reality. We can turn on the light, right? When we have light in the room, you cannot turn on the darkness because darkness has no reality. 
It is merely the absence of light. And so those dark forces that are in our world are forces that are, don't have light. They have actually no reality of their own. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about those dark forces. We don't see them as an independent external force that's dark. The, each one of us, if we, if we turn away from the light, we can become, we get influenced by the forces of, dark, of darkness and can actually start contributing more to those forces of darkness. When, if we align ourselves with light, we can become channels of that light and, and contribute to creating unity in the world, the love and harmony and peace that everyone seeks of whatever nation, of whatever religion, of whatever race or creed, everyone yearns for peace. And we can, we can create it together. But it, as I say, it starts in my heart first and your heart and each heart and to root out those forces that we recognize that are forces of darkness that feel oh so, oh, I'm going to see if I can find that where he talks about these forces that start to feel so comfortable. They just feel normal. It feels like that's the way it's supposed to be, but it's not. God calls us to something far higher. And I'll see if I can find that. But um, I maybe can even talk a little bit about my own journey with that. And I, I feel like it wasn't until, because we were talking about tests, and I think we need to be grateful for tests because they they help uh, polish our heart from those things that are getting in the way of our heart reflecting the divine light. And there are things of, as I say, materialism, individualism, the ego, and how can we, and I noticed that um, when I was really tested, severely tested in my life, and I realized I truly knew nobody could help me. Um, I could only turn to God. And that's when I started immersing myself in the words of God, because Baha'u'llah says the word of God is the king of words and its pervasive influence is incalculable. It has ever dominated and will continue to dominate the realm of being. So those words, the the word of God that's been manifested throughout history, those words have the power to transform our hearts and to transform the world if we follow them, if we allow them to guide our life and to align, and that we align with those words. But we're living in a world that's drawing, pulling us away from them. In fact, what did he say? He, he, Huber Dumber often talked or also talks somewhere about, I'm going to see if I can find it, where he talks about um, we do resist them because the ego likes the comfort and the convenience and wants it just to be the way we want it to be. And so when something's asking me to be different and to change, I'm, you know, we don't always like to change. We, we like to kind of have it our way and, and, and that. But in that process, millions around the world, because so many of us have been able to live in, you know, in North America and, and, you know, certainly we have our challenges, but we have enough food to eat. Most of us, we have a roof over our head, most of us, but so many don't. And it's because of injustice, inequities, the focus on materialism. So um, 
As I, I'm going to ask you a quick question here um, because you're kind of like touching on like both sides of it. Yeah. Um, I've often thought about this because I, I don't think it is necessarily even tied to a, a faith like this idea of a utopian society, right? No. But there's literally across the board never been a utopian anything ever ever like you know like from the origin of anything you know like from one tree growing faster than another tree and stealing the nutrients from the smaller tree and that tree dying to a dinosaur eating another dinosaur to you know like water overtaking soil because glaciers are melting to the earth's crust erupting, erupting and forming mountains to tribes of every kind fighting each other to animals eating each other. Like there's just, there's, there's no, there's actual no real essence of um, utopia. Right. That you can, like leverage back on. And so this is always kind of like my thing. It's like, well, do people feel at a deficit chasing utopia knowing that we've never had it you know like where does that lie and then well I'm going to kind of just throw a, a few things out there so then when if you entertain the concept of being judged mm -hmm. that makes being judged appropriate because you expect to be judged so then that becomes a real part of life. So then you have to live with the concept of right and wrong because there's this judgment coming. Um, but though also looking at from the perspective that I think as we all gain some life experience, like people could look at your life and people could look at my life and judge that on the scale of like right and wrong and ways to get to like a utopian society and ways to not get to a utopian society um but what if there was just never a concept of being judged like what if like from your concept uh, or not your concept what if the concept of god was there was never talk about judgment day there's never talk about being judged how much pressure would there be off a humanity living up to an expectation of not being judged because they're not doing something right to get to this place of not being judged because then people build a concept of judgment into their moral fabric. And then because you have this concept of judgment built into your moral fabric, then you start to perceive things around you as right or wrong because you also then have to interpret in real time at a moment what may be right or wrong. It's like you go back to the whole... Uh, or like as singular concept of do you steal the bread to feed your starving family is should you get judged on that or should the person who has the bread get judged for not giving you the bread to feed your starving family or should you be judged for not being able to provide for your starving family in the first place or should everybody in that nucleus be judged for not working cohesively together, you know? So it, it's, but again, like if you take just this singular concept of judgment, 
there's a lot of disarray that comes from a concept of being judged and a singular entity holding that within inside themselves saying, because where you have, if you bestow the right upon anybody or anything to judge you, the flip side of that is also perfection, which you also touched on when you're talking. So then not only do you live under this concept of that, yes, you should be judged. It's also, yes, there also is perfection to be had. So where on this sliding scale of perfection do I, do I stand or where on this sliding scale of judgment am I currently right now? Well, when you have the concept of perfection and then now this sliding scale of where am I on this scale of perfection, that again plants the seed of judgment because now you're judging yourself. You will never be able to solely judge yourself. And then that plant seeds of then judging other people because then it becomes contrast. Well, where are you on this sliding scale of judgment? But then I also know that there's this concept of, well, that's not, none of our rights or responsibilities is to be able to determine where on this sliding scale of judgment there is. But we've only really created this sliding scale of judgment and happiness is because there's this entity that says, I, I'm the beholder of perfection. But the one thing that I know about life and love and compassion is none of those things encapsulate perfection. None. Compassion is dirty. Love is dirty. Every, like all these, you have, you have to understand what that means to even really, I feel people have to connect with what that means to be able to understand that if I want perfect love, I'm never going to achieve that. Okay. If I want perfect compassion, I feel the only thing that ever gives me compassion in life is life experience. And that's not life experience of like all this great stuff. It's all this, like all this life experience of all these like terrible things that have happened, you know, but I also know some of the times that I've judged myself the most is not even comparing myself to perfect. It's the understanding that there can be better instead of that just life is what it is, no matter what it looks like, no matter what's happening at that time. Because when I, I've talked lots about the disarray that's going on in the world and i fully understand there's a ton of disarray but then I also look at it from the same perspective too that there's never not been disarray across even outside of the human species like there's just there's never not been disarray um so if you believe that we've lived for 10 years 100 years a thousand years a hundred thousand years a million years a billion years that there's been organic life as long as there has been like organic life of some kind there's been conflict like right down to like a, a molecular level like there's never really been like this utopian place and then i get into this concept of like well how would you ever know if it's utopia if you never knew what it was like for there not to be utopia exactly <laughs> right you know, so 
you know, when you get into all these things, so it's like, if you need a non-utopian society to value what utopia could be, you should want people to judge each other or you should want to be judged or you should want something to you to judge against. Cause if you have nothing to judge against, utopia loses its value. Very interesting. Cause I, I don't think of, um, the kingdom of God on earth as a utopia, for some reason, I don't see, think of it that way, but it, I, I, I under, I completely understand what you're saying. And I, I, I really appreciate it. I, I think, um, if we look at not, not about judgment and not about perfection, because actually we cannot achieve perfection. And in fact, I heard someone say that perfectionism is the highest form of self abuse. So mm -hmm. to try to strive for that, which we are not, we are, um, human beings, we are, we are flawed, but we have great capacity. Mm -hmm. And within each of us has been placed this, as Baola said, again, regard, regard man, so regard every person as a mine rich in gems of inestimable value. Mm -hmm. Education can alone cause it to reveal its treasures and allow man to benefit therefrom. So, if we think about the great teachers that come are helping us try to polish, find those gems within us, polish them so they can shine brightly in the world. So I would suggest that the, the virtue that is most needed now in our world is justice mm -hmm. because without justice, there can be no unity without unity. There can be no peace. So we need to, and if we, so this idea of a judge is not about, um, brimstone and how it's not that it's about recognizing where how did I do today not to beat myself up you know just to then feel hopeless because if we do that we start to feel hopeless mm -hmm. but if we can look honestly not to perfection because we're not going to get there that that's not it but it is to be better than I was yesterday so if I made one step to speak a little more patient be a little more patient speak a little more kindly I've made progress. And then that virtue that was placed within me shines a little more brightly. And I think that's something we need to really encourage in our children is this idea of, of um, polishing the virtues and working on them. And when I forget, not someone reminds me and calls me to that virtue. So for example, if my child does something that wasn't peaceful, I call them to the virtue of peace. I don't say you're bad and, you know, and, and that, but we call them to the virtue that they forgot. Actually, that could be a whole other podcast, and maybe we can we can do that or some at some point talk about that too. But so I oh, see. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that you and I are going to get into to chat about for sure. So I, I I would love that, but this idea. So I don't see it as a utopian in that we've never had it, so don't even try for it. Yeah, because you know what, Blake? Too many people are suffering. We have to. We have to make the effort, not for perfection, but to be a little better today than I was yesterday. Because then I'm contributing a little more light to the world. I'm allowing that light that is infusing our world to shine through that one word I said, that act, that thought. Because actually, it isn't just our word. We have to, our thoughts. When that thought comes, Abdu'l-Baha even said, when a thought of war comes, oppose it by a stronger thought of peace. 
a thought of hatred must be destroyed by a more powerful thought of love. It starts right here in my own thoughts. I have to do that. That's the little contribution I can make to try to make the world a little bit better because each one of us is here to do that. We're all interconnected. We're here, Abdu'l-Bahá said, all human beings must powerfully sustain one another. We're here. And, and he also said this. This is one of my favorite quotations of Abdu'l-Bahá of all time. He said, for one of the greatest wisdoms regarding the appearance of the holy manifestations is this. The souls may come to know each other. Susan, do you want to take a second and turn your ringer off on, on your... How do, do that? how do I do that? Tell me how to do that. You just turn the, turn the volume down. We can... Yeah. Um, the, so the, the one thing that, um, and sorry to throw this no, in. No, sorry about that. No, but I don't even, I was saying try again. I, I, I'm so not technology connected. Oh, then just throw it down by the, the floor. So it's, it's just, I think it's my computer for some reason. Maybe I need to turn the whole thing off. Yeah. It's just close to the microphone. So when it dings, it's, uh, it's loud. But again, these are just all first world problems and stuff. But, That's so um, true. I just powered it off. I think there'll be not, hopefully it won't ring. It's connected somehow to my computer, but my apologies for that. But no problem. No problem. At all. Um, I mean, this is in just a, a very general um, concept. And I mean, absolutely no disrespect by it all. And I realize how it is kind of a bold statement to make. Um, if we have so many people fighting over what a concept of God is, what the message of that God is, who are the, the descendants or disciples or the message givers of that God that they believe in, could somebody make the argument that that may be the nucleus of the problem? What if that was, what if that, entity was just not there and people had no concept of God whatsoever. If that's because the, the, the only reason why I say that, and I realize how disrespectful and I mean, not no, disrespectful, but it, it would, yeah. Okay. But I just mean the number one thing that people fight about in this world is religion. There's been more death in the name of religion than any disease, you know, any political party, any anything it's that is people's interpretation of what god is what their what they think these messages are who they think this person or this 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 life or this this energy this place this anything is like it's just it seems like that and i know you talk about it in stage and maybe this is just like the infancy stage that we're in where we're in the terrible twos of it you know, but like, no, we passed the terrible twos, but, but I just mean like it, it seemingly has created substantially more conflict than it ever has solved. You know, I think that I, I okay, that's, that's a really interesting point. I, I, um, is it, is religion, it, even, even Abdu'l-Bahá said, if religion become the cause of disunity, it is better there be no religion. For every religion has come to unite people. Every, if you look, if you look at the teachings of every one of the great recognized authenticated religions of the world, and if you read their scriptures, you will say, oh, that's the same. We believe the same thing. Um, anytime I'll say something to one of my colleagues, she goes, oh yeah, we believe that too. 
um, she's Hindu. It's like, we all believe the same thing, but you see, can you see what happens? What got in the way? If every great teacher came to say we are, there's one God and that you need to live, you need to love each other and you need to live in peace and harmony. Every great teacher has virtually said that. What happens? Man and his ego get in there. And then I want to look better than you. And so I think my religion is better than your religion. And my religion is the truth, not yours. Do you see what I mean? That is, again, a dark force that has gotten in there. And that's what's caused the problem. It isn't God. God is all loving. And out of his love, he sent us these great teachers. And they are in complete agreement. So what do we look at? We like to look at where we're different. So maybe, you know, this manifestation taught this. And then because mankind had evolved and that, that law needed, could be changed now because we've grown. But then these people in this religion go, oh, no, 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 no. That's not okay. They, that can't be right. Do you see what I mean? The, but that the, would also fall into the category of free will, though. True. Oh, and we have free will. Oh, look, at we have free will. Absolutely. But no, but like, that's what I mean. Like, if, if you have free will. Yes. You've now set the wheels in motion for conflict. Because you have the, you know, like, there's going to be differences of opinion in that forum. Like, and it's just like, and I don't, I don't necessarily know um, if that's like ego based. Like, I, I don't, oh, because, yeah. you know, like when there's one person who thinks one thing, another person who thinks another thing, like, it's just simply like a difference of opinion, but that difference of opinion causes divide. It doesn't have to though, but, but what if, what if we have a difference of opinion, but we respect each other so much and appreciate and love. And I see the facet of the divine that is such a seeker of truth that you are searching for the truth. Like clearly you have thought deeply and long about humanity and what's happened and what we're doing. And so you're, you're, you're a seeker, you're searching for truth. If I respect that in you, I am not going to try to impose and, and try to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong. I will this just. This is why you and I can have a healthy conversation, though. And the, this, is yeah. the, this is the way that, that I am in this, in this situation. It's very much like what you were just highlighting is that um, I'm in a personal development course with a, with a devout Christian, and I'm not Christian. I'm having an amazing conversation with somebody who's practicing Baha'i and I'm not a practicing Baha'i member. Um, I have Sikh friends, Hindu friends, Catholic friends, non-denominational friends, because the thing is, I can't identify with any one of those because there's something I don't like about every single one of them. You know, there's also on the flip side of that is there's also something I like about every single one of them. Like my kids are a smiley. I'm not a smiley. You know, but that doesn't mean that I don't love them. Absolutely. You know, like it just like, so, but like I said, for me personally, when I look at it, I'm like, I don't like something out of category A, B, C, and D, and E, and F. And then I look at it, I'm like, I really love this thing about A, B, C, D, and E, and F. So I can't prescribe myself to just a single thing because I want to be around all the things that I like, you know, like I love you. And so hail, and you know, like, like everybody else that did, because I feel like knowing all of you makes me a far better person than following any one single way of thinking. Because 
you all force me to actually think, not be told what to think. Because you can open up my eyes to like new concepts. And then that's why it was just like, it's not, I know like when we talk about religion and politics and all these things, like they become like very polarizing really fast. But like for me, it's always just curiosity. Like I just want to know how people think. Like that's why like I ask questions, but I also do know, especially around religion, as soon as you start asking questions, the polarization like hits in like immediately. But that's what I love about like you and Sohail is like you can, you can have an intelligent conversation with somebody who may not fully prescribe to everything you're saying, but you know that there's parts of me, you can probably feel that the parts in me that you identify with, that you identify with being Baha'i, which that, those are the same things that I'm going to really love about you and your husband. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, and that's who I want to be as a person. And that's what I identify with, like as a person, because I knew that like when I was forced to be, I went to a, a, a Catholic school when I was young um until I was in grade three and then I was a forced Anglican because that's what my mom was and you know being Eastern European like obviously I have like this like Orthodox Catholic and like I'm like I don't really agree necessarily wholeheartedly with everything that everybody is saying but there was never an outlet where it was like well you don't have to because you know what if you want to go talk to this Buddhist guy like he's probably read about some stuff too yes you know like (laughs) but it's never like that though like it's it's like here's your prescribed way of thinking and like here's your your code you have to live your life by if you step outside of that code you are going to be judged and you know hopefully you ask not to be judged at the right moment or else you're going to go to a place you don't want to go and it's like well but this guy thinks something different and he's pretty cool so why can't I think a little bit like him and a little bit like you you know, but then that's where you go back into like having this, this ego side of it where like somebody at some point in time says that if you don't do this, or if you don't think like this, this judgment's going to come become upon you. Um, because I'm not naive enough to think that there's not something bigger than us. I identify with that is like, I can, I feel your great energy and we're not even beside each other. And I've been with you in person and it's what made me want to have this conversation with you for almost two years, you know, like because of that and that I can't explain that. I don't know. That's how I know that whatever it may be. And I, it's open to interpretation in my mind because I, I, I value that. I want more of whatever that is. And yeah. that, that to me is, my version of utopian society where it's the I can be around everybody and it just and it's fine and the more the people that I know that are like that again like you and Sohail I really feel like that's where when people become so emotionally balanced and happy is because it's valuing the differences amongst each other not telling people that their differences are wrong I love that. That is so true. And I love this beautiful analogy of the world of humanity as a beautiful flower garden. And when we think of a garden, the flowers are all different colors and fragrances and shapes. And the diversity of the flowers actually enhances the beauty of the garden. And that's the reality of of humanity. It's like all of humanity is like a beautiful flower garden. And we should rejoice 
to be amongst each other with the beautiful differences that we have, as long as we celebrate them and don't start thinking, oh, mine's better than yours or whatever, that we can actually just celebrate together. You know, we're told to consult, consort with the followers of all religions in a spirit of love and fellowship. That's what we're called to. That's what God calls us to for, for all of us. And so it isn't. I think it's when we start thinking we're right, ours is the right way, and everyone else is not quite up to our standard or whatever it is we're thinking. The minute I'm thinking that, I can be assured I am not listening to my spirit. I'm listening to my lower nature because we have this dual nature. Every human being has two sides. We have our higher nature, which is our spirit, and we have our lower nature, which is the animal and can be expressed maybe through ego. It's that part of us that wants to make sure I'm okay and, and maybe better than you. And, and I have to recognize when I'm in that place, when I'm... And, and I think when, when um, we, we look at that and we try to say, I'm different than you and I'm better than you, we've, we've in a way severed. We didn't really sever it because that oneness exists, that connection between us exists and will never, is always there and we can tap into it. And that's the divine, that's the divine spirit. I think that's what, you, what we see in each other and what we recognize. And I loved that beautiful example that each human being on this planet is a reflection of one of the facets of the divine. But if, if my, the facet of the divine that God wants me to reflect, I've actually buried it amongst, you know, my ego and what I want. And I care more about myself and others because, you know, oh, that just reminds me of what is the golden rule. I have this beautiful, I don't think I have it here, but right in front of me, but it's this beautiful little thing about called the golden rule. And it talks, it says in Buddha, I think it shows in Buddhism, um, what is um, hurtful to others do not. So what hurts? Then in the time of Moses, it is what is hateful to you do not do unto your brothers um, or something. So, okay, then in Moses, then in the time of Jesus is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then in the time of Muhammad was um, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother what he desires for himself. And then in this dispensation, um, the golden rule is blessed is he who prefereth his brother before himself. And I was looking at this and I was really deeply reflecting on this little poster I have and thinking about it. And I realized, ah, at each stage of mankind's history, God has asked a little more of humanity. So in the time of Buddha, it was don't hurt. If something hurts you, don't hurt another. But then in the time of Moses, but I, I'd actually really like to have a copy of that. Okay, we'll send it to you. Moses, I may have these two mixed around, but Moses was about hate. So it's now hurt. Can You can hurt my body. You can hurt my feelings. But something about hate. And he said, what is hateful to you, do not do unto your brother. So it's like, so it's almost been raised up a little bit more. Not just about now, it's, it's about an emotion. Don't do that. But then in the time of Jesus... It was do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So now it's, now it's being raised to actions. Don't hurt, you know, do, do to them what you want them to do to you. So if you wouldn't want something done to you, do not do it to others. So it's, there's a kind of now you're equal. Think about that and do unto them what you want them to do unto you. But in time of Muhammad, we're asked to, we're come, we're asked to come to a, a higher level. 
And that is, um, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother what he desires for himself. So now desire comes in. So if I want my children to get the best education and I want them to all be successful and I want all that, actually, in the time of Muhammad, I need to wish that for every other person if, to be a believer. But in this dispensation, in the dispensation of Baha'u'llah, we're called to something even higher. Blessed is he who prefereth his brother before himself. That is, that's high. That, that requires, I think, I remember one day thinking, okay, Susan, you know, this is the golden rule now for this age. So you better start trying to, I tell you, I think I made it till about noon. And I started thinking, well, what about me? <laughs> like I was always thinking about the other person. But, and I thought I only made it till noon. Like, what is that? So it's like, wow, we are called to such a high station spiritually. And what that will require is that my spirit needs to dominate my ego more often than my ego dominates my spirit. You know, because we have this dual nature, we can almost, um, they describe it almost like a horse and a rider. So we have our physical nature, which we live in this physical world. So we have a physical body. It is the temple of our soul. So we need to treat it with great respect and, and that but that we also have that more animal side to us that's, you know, wants things in a certain way or, you know, we need our food, of course, but we want our spirit to be the rider because if, if the, our lower animal nature is the, is, is the power that's guiding us, just imagine a horse out of control. I mean, there's going to be chaos. People are going to get hurt. The rider themselves going to get hurt, but if the rider, so that's our spirit can dominate our lower nature then the horse can be guided where it needs to go. And there's, there's peace. There's, you know, we get where we want to go, where we get where we're going and no one gets hurt. Right. And in fact, everybody probably benefits. So we have to always be looking at that. And we, we all have that dual nature and we have to look at which, which who's running the show right now. Um, and then always being nurturing our higher nature, because when two things are, you know, it's not necessarily competing, but there's two forces there. Which one's going to win? Whenever there's sort of a, when it push comes to shove, which going to win? The one that you feed the most. So if I'm continually feeding my lower nature by, you know, wanting um, material things, great. God created this world. We're meant to enjoy it all, um, but not at the expense, not if we allow it to get in the way of our love for God. And if my wants and desires means that there's less for others, I have to look at that. But that would be my spirit that would be looking at that. So how do we nourish that higher nature in us? We do it through the word of God, through prayers, through reading these great teachings that have come always to, um, to guide us. And humanity, we continually, we, we do, we fall short but we pick ourselves up and we keep going. So I think you talked about perfection. Yeah. Let's not even go there. We're not going to be perfect. Never, but I can be better today than I was yesterday. And if I need help, cause we need the divine power is this power we can draw on in our lives. And that's why I think tests come in because we realize we can't do it on our own. And that's when we, if we didn't believe there was a God, we sure hope there is. And we may call on, right? Because there's that power that can help us. And that's the power that will strengthen our spirits so that we can make progress and humanity. We can reach a day. And I don't talk it. I don't, I, I, I don't even use that word utopia. 
I just use the word unity, peace, justice. We need that. The world needs that. There are too many people that don't have enough food to eat, don't have clean water to drink. There's just, that's not okay. That's not okay. So how, what can we do? How can I be more just? What does that look like? And so when I, when I turn to the writings of Baha'u'llah, I, I, I see the roadmap to how to get there. It's like, here's how to do it. Here's, he has his finger on the pulse and he's prescribed the remedy. We have to read it and then live it. Not just, they're not just words to be left on the page. They're, they're words to transform my heart and my, my thoughts, my words and my actions. So I go out there and try. And I try to do my part to make the world a better place by whatever the divine facet that I'm trying, that God wants me to reflect, that he placed in me the more it's covered by my lower nature, the less I'm going to be able to reflect that light. And I remember one friend saying once that every person on this earth has a little piece of the truth. Like we need, we need to talk to each other so I can learn from you. You learn from me. I learn from, because we're all together going to be able to create the world that each one of us wants. We really all want the same thing. We just are maybe going about it in different ways and aren't recognizing the forces that are playing, that are at play and affecting us and getting in the way of what we all really want. And that's why I love this book, Forces of Our Time. Help me recognize when that's my lower voice, my lower nature's talking and how to tune into the higher nature. You know, Hooper Dunbar himself said that he needs no less than two hours every day of reading from the creative word to overcome those power, those forces of darkness. Mm -hmm. They are so, they just permeate, but there is more powerful source of, of energy and light, but we need to draw on it. But if we're not aware it's there and we're not even aware of those forces that are dragging us down, we can't. So we have to recognize, we have to look at those forces. We have to recognize them, materialism, individualism, prejudice, um, nationalism even like these things that separate us and we want, we want to be better. And as long as we have, no, we need to, we're being called to our collective um, maturity. And that means our unity. We're one, we're one human family. Yes, and, we, and the, and when you, like, as you're talking, the one thing that consistently like keeps coming like back into my mind is not, it's more the responsibility of, I guess, people no matter who you are what you are what walk life is that if you wanted to do nothing else like if you wanted to do none of the other work that like you just were um like talking about there like if you want to be nationalistic if you want to you know if you want to be judged or not judged but that's poor example but um as i'll just say that if if people would just work on their own definition of compassion mm -hmm. because I really like all these things like I, I realize how much um, of life is leveraged on a foundation of compassion for yourself and then when you have compassion for other people that you that think like you it's easier to be around and be compassionate with people who don't think like you and then the conflict level goes down because then you can, you come, you want people like I can look at you and I, I know your like, I know your backstory. I know you're a very compassionate person. That's why I want to be right. Like that's, that's the foundation of what I connect with. 
is because I, I know that like you're, you are a compassionate person based on your principles, which allows you to be able to be compassionate to people who may not see life exactly like you. Um, you and your husband have traveled the world spreading that message. And like, I respect that so much, you know, but if, if, if everybody in their own walk of life just really worked on like their version of compassion, because when you, when you talk to people and, and you, you ask them to define what they think compassion means, like you might as well give them some darts and turn off the lights and tell them to throw them at the dartboard. Like there's not a lot of people including myself until about a couple of years ago, like right before I met you in soil that I could have really even told you what I think compassion means. And I have not intentionally been walking down this road, but I realize how much of life is really based on compassion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the idea of, you know, every person you see, I guess maybe um, looking at them and seeing the divine spark in every person, no matter what veils are covering, but just to, I feel like, you know, um, another one of my favorite quotes, actually, it was, um, I was visiting my a friend and her daughter was in high school and she was, I went into her room, she was showing me her project and I saw a quotation on the, on the wall. And it said, one must see in every human being only that which is worthy of praise. When this is done, one can be a friend to the whole human race. If, however, we look at other people from the standpoint of their faults, then being a friend to them is a formidable task. When I saw those words, I thought, this would change our world. If each one of us, when we meet anyone, we see, because he goes on, actually, it's a beautiful passage. Um, the next part of that passage, he actually tells the story of Jesus. Abdu'l-Baha tells the story of Jesus walking along with some of his followers, and they come across the carcass of a dead dog. And Everybody, it, it, it looked bad, it smelled bad, it was just not good. Everybody had something to say, but Jesus said, oh, look at its gleaming white teeth. So the Messiah, with his sin-covering eye, saw only that which was worthy of praise, was its gleaming white teeth. And then Abdu'l-Baha says, thus, it is incumbent upon us. That means it's our duty. When we direct our gaze toward other people, to see where they excel, not where they fail. I truly think that will change our world. If when I meet anybody, I just look for that light in them and I see where they excel. And, and it may not be easy in the beginning. There may be, you know, there may be veils in the way, but to look for that. And honestly, to me, I think that is an act of great compassion because if I look at that person and I see that one little light, it will give them hope. Because each and every one of us knows where we fail, knows where we fall short every single day. And then when we have someone come and point out to us where we're falling short, we already know. And then we start to feel hopeless. But if we can be that light to each other and see in every human being only that which is worthy of praise, this world will change. I, I think that is the greatest thing that we can give to each other is to see that. 
And I hope we'll do that. But honestly, if I didn't have these words that I could go back to and remind myself, I might forget because I'm in a world, we're in this world that's, that's turned away from God. And when the world turns away from God, it can be quite dark. And so even, even if I'm thinking I'm right and you guys are all wrong, like that's, that's another dark force. We're all right. We all have a little piece of the truth. And to try to find that in each other is like, I think the gift we give each other and the gift we'll give our world. And I think it's so needed now. I, you know, I think, yeah, until re people recognize that there is this force of light that's been infused into our world and they can draw on it. And it's God comes from God's latest teacher. Like, and, 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 and you know what? One of the first, the first principle of, of, of the Baha'i faith is the independent investigation of the truth. So that's a huge thing. It means I can't try and convince anybody. That's not my role. In fact, I should never try to do that, in, encroach on someone else's free will. But I can offer, hey, this has helped me, and this is how it's helped me. And I, I see when I, when I read this, I see that this seems like a remedy for the, for the you know, challenges that our world is facing. And I can invite others take a look, see what you think, but with your own heart and your own mind, study these words and see if you yourself find the truth there. But you know what? He also says the tablet of the true seeker, you have to have free yourself of all thoughts and even any love or hate. The true seeker has to not, I haven't got it in right in front of me, but in, in case that love or hate inclines him to the, to turn away. So we actually have to free ourselves of our thoughts, our feelings. It's not easy, but we can ask God to help us do that so that I can read and try, and try to find the truth and not be looking for loopholes or looking for where well, that doesn't, you know, to really come at it as a true seeker. And that's someone who's truly seeking the truth, not, not trying to prove I'm right or something, but truly in search of the truth. I think, I think we'll find, yeah. And so I invite people to see, does this, does this ring true? Does this they investigate, like right? You know, like that's the they, they people are just not willing to uh, to investigate. Like you just, it's easy just to be able to wake up every day and just keep doing what you're doing. But you know, we need to investigate, right? Yes, and you know what? That is another one of the dark forces. I think it's the force of passivity mm -hmm. to just be passive, just keep doing what you're doing, and and you know. But we, we need to, we need to uh, rise up against that force because it just keeps a lot of the social structures and things that are in place that are not just, that um, don't serve the whole um, from getting stronger and, and, and then we don't make progress and we don't have justice and we can't then have unity and then we can't have peace. So how can we do that? We need to find, look at those forces. And, and I love the idea of independent because it means that even though maybe I was, in fact, I was, was confirmed in the Anglican church and um, she actually learned about and studied about the Baha'i faith and, and became a Baha'i when I was a child. So I was influenced that way and I got my mother, my grandmother still devout Christian. I have such love for Jesus in my heart. Never will I not it was how I was first. And I love that. I can be a Baha'i and, and love Jesus with all my heart. And I can love Buddha and I can love Muhammad. I don't have to say I'm right and you're wrong. I, I love them because they're all, 
mirrors of the divine at different points in humanity's history. I don't know if you want to hear that, if you'd like to hear that, what, what Baha'u'llah said. I actually, Susan, I, I apologize. Keep the bookmark right there. Um, okay. I just have another meeting at 1145, and I know we could talk for hours. Um, but, bookmark it, but bookmark it there because like, obviously, okay, let's bookmark it there. Oh, like, I love that. It's not going to be the, the final one. Like we have hours and hours and hours more conversation to be had. I, um, I just too. apologize for, um, for booking all these meetings. No, no. And I'm glad, no, really, because I actually don't have hours either. I have something this afternoon that I have to be ready for as well. But I just, I really appreciate you and your, you, I think you're a seeker of truth and, 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 and you have a compassionate heart and you want to learn and you want others to learn. So you don't just keep it to yourself. You're spreading this so others, so we can all learn together because that's how we grow is together, not one, but together. And all human beings must powerfully sustain one another. Oh, that was, okay. Maybe I just close with this if I may. Yeah. I think I said this one, but let me repeat it and say, I mean, I hope I've got it right. Um, for one of the greatest divine wisdoms regarding the appearance of the holy manifestations is this. The souls may come to know each other, become intimate with each other, that through the power of the love of God, they may become the waves of one sea, the, the flowers of one rose garden, and the stars of one heaven. That's why God sent Moses and Jesus and Buddha and is so that we will love each other and we'll know each other. And I think through things like this, we get to know each other better by having conversations and appreciating each other and seeing the divine light that shines in each and every one of us, even if some of us have many veils. Like I'm talking about myself. Like I've got rereading this today, getting ready, reminded me so much of what I need to do in my own relationships. And anyway, it's been beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really time. appreciate your time. Thank you for carving this time out of your day to be able to sit down and talk with me and share this with everybody listening. And I really appreciate it, Susan. I hope oh, you it's my joy and pleasure. And let me know if we want to continue this conversation. I'm so happy to do it. We Just are. Let me know We're going where and when. Be prepared for it. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye now.